Um, now we're going to start uh, studying God's Word, and let's, let's see if you guys still remember what we're talking about. We weren't here last week. So what are we talking about right now? Shadows of Golgotha. Shadows of Golgotha. Sister Nancy, you are amazing. <laughs> if it wasn't for you, I would be preaching the same message every week. All right. <laughs> we are talking about Shadows of Golgotha, and this is our fifth week. And what we have been talking about is we're going through the Old Testament and we're trying to see the types and the pictures of the cross in the Old Testament. Amen. Amen. The point again, what I hope we can accomplish through this is I want to show you guys that from Genesis 1 all the way to the very end of Malachi, God had the cross of Christ as his focal point. Amen. The cross and the redemption of our sins through the blood of Jesus was not um, a New Testament idea that God came up with between the New Testament, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Amen. So we start looking for different pictures in the Old Testament that shows us how the cross is God's focal point. We started with Genesis 3:15, right? And that's the promise that God made that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Amen. And then after that, we looked in Genesis 3.21. And that's when the Bible said that God made garments of skin and he clothed Adam and Eve. And that represent Jesus dying, Jesus dying on the cross. And through him, we can be righteous before God. Amen. Two weeks ago, uh, last week we were in the retreat, two weeks ago we shared about the Ark of Noah, right? And we stopped at that phrase when the Bible say, only Noah and his household were left and everybody died. And we said that this Ark is a picture of the cross of Christ. The judgment of God fell down and that Ark took the judgment, took the wrath of God on itself and provided safety and life for Noah and his family. Amen? And that's literally what Jesus did on the cross. He took our punishment so we can escape the wrath of God. Amen? Amen. Today we're going to skip all the way to Genesis 22. I just want to remind us, we are now looking at pictures of Christ in the Old Testament, right? We're looking at pictures of the cross in the Old Testament, amen? So we're narrowing our preaching for the next whatever, you know, whatever it takes, only on pictures of the cross, not pictures of Christ. So we're going to skip a lot of references that talks about Jesus. Like, for example, the Bible tells us that Abraham made a king of, of Jerusalem called Melchizedek, who's a picture of Christ. That tells the author of Hebrews tells us. But we're not discussing that. We're not talking about Christ in the Old Testament. We're talking about the cross in the Old Testament. You guys follow me? So if we skip some incidences that talk about Christ, that's because we're not focusing on Christ right now. We're talking about the cross. How is that God's focal point? Amen. So we're going to skip now to Genesis 22, verse 8. A story that is very familiar with us. Let me give you the background and then we'll read that passage. Abraham was a man of God that God has called out of his land. And he said, go to the land that I'm going to show you. And Abraham started to follow God. And because of his faith, God has promised him that in his seed, in his son, all the nations will be blessed, which is also a reference to Christ. Amen. There was only one problem with that. 
Abraham had no children. For almost 25 years, he had no kid. And he had to trust that somehow God will provide what he has promised. Amen? The only problem is time was ticking. Him and Sarah passed age. The Bible says Sarah is his wife. They both passed age. And the Bible say at the point that God actually gave him his son, he was as good as dead. Amen? Now, I don't know what you think about as good as dead, but as good as dead is pretty bad, right? It's dead. He's, he's, he can't, it can't happen. And even Sarah herself, the Bible said that his womb was dead too. But God provided a son for them, and his name is Isaac. Amen? And you think, oh, great, God finally provided. I'm going to hold dear into that son. But God had a different plan for Abraham. Amen? One day, God came to Abraham and he said, let's read that from Genesis 22, the first eight verses. Here is what happens. Now it came to pass after these things that God did what? Tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Verse 2, then he said, God said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. I don't know about you. If I was Abraham, I would be, God, is that really you? I would be questioning if that was the point. The, what is the point? Think about it. You give me a son, and now you're taking him away? That's how I would reason through it, right? But Abraham was not like that. Amen? That's why he's a man of faith. He's the father of faith. So Abraham did what? Rose early. I don't know about you. At least he didn't sleep in a little. At least wake up a little bit late. Maybe God will change his mind. No. He heard the voice of God and he rose early. Look at this. He rose early to do the will of God. Amen. That's a man of faith right there. He rose early. And uh, in the morning, and sandaled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering. He got everything ready, and arose, and went to the place which God has told him. Amen? Verse 4. Then on the third day, three days walking to this place. I don't know about you. I'm pretty sure Satan was tormenting him during that time. Are you sure this is God? Are you sure you're doing the right thing? You want to think about it again? But on the third day, he finally lifted his eyes and he saw the place afar off. Amen. And verse 5, And Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and I will come back to you. Amen. No, I don't want to hear an amen, not I. We will come back to you, amen? Why did he say we, the author of Hebrew, tells us that he knew that God can raise him from the dead. And he knew that God, once he slaughtered him, God will raise him up and he will come back with Isaac. But the author of Hebrews tells us that Abraham had no question that he will actually end up killing Isaac. He just knew that after he kills him, God will raise him from the dead. Amen? So he, he, he was 100% knowing, knowing at this point that he's going to go through killing his son and slaughtering him as a burnt offering. Amen? But he knew God will raise him from the dead. And... Um, and then we read verse 6. So Abraham took the wood, the burnt offering, and... Um, Okay, we did that. All right, verse 7, but... Oh, well, let's read 6 again. So Abraham took the wood and the burned offering 
and laid on Isaac his son, laid that, that wood on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, look, the fire and the wood, but there is the, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said in verse eight, my son, and this is where we're going to stop today. God, let's read it together. God will provide for himself the lamb of the burnt offering. Let's read it again. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. Amen. Amen. When Abraham uttered these words, I don't know what he was trying to tell Isaac. If he was trying to tell Isaac in a way, don't worry about it. God will take care of it. But these very words that Abraham uttered at that very difficult time was very prophetic. And it is a picture, a shadow of what God will do on the cross. Amen. We all know the story that Abraham went, he tied Isaac on the altar, and he raised his knife so he can slaughter the lad. But then the angel of the Lord spoke to him, and he said, Now I know that you fear God, and behold, there is a ram, and this ram was caught in a tree. And Abraham ended up taking that ram and sacrificing that lamb as a burnt offering instead of his son. Amen? And God literally came through for the words that Abraham just mentioned earlier, that God will provide for himself a lamb of the sacrifice. Amen? In that one sentence, when Abraham said God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, we learn three things about that lamb that God has provided for uh, Isaac on Isaac's behalf, and ultimately God has provided on Mount Calvary. Amen? Number one, it is a lamb provided by God, right? Abraham said, who will provide? God will provide. So who will provide the lamb? God, right? So it's a lamb provided by God, right? But then Abraham said, God will provide the lamb for who? For himself. So it's a lamb provided by God. It's a lamb provided for God, right? And then it says that that lamb will serve as a burnt offering to God. Amen? So it's a lamb also provided to God. Amen? So three lessons here that we learn about that lamb. Number one, let's say it together. It's a lamb provided by God. Number two, it's a lamb provided for God. And number three, it's a lamb provided to God. Amen? So let's look at this. And each one of these is an amazing, vivid picture of Jesus dying on the cross. Number one, it's a lamb provided by God. When Abraham said, the Lord will provide, literally in Hebrew, he said, Elohim Yarah. Elohim is the name of God in Hebrew. You know, that's God's name. And Yarah literally means to see. So what Abraham was telling Isaac literally is this. God will see for himself the lamb for the sacrifice. Amen? And in Hebrew, sometimes in that culture to say, God will see literally means God will provide for himself that lamb. The word to see here means to look after, to search for that lamb, to try to find it and then provide it for himself. Amen. An example for that we see in 1 Samuel 
16.1. Now God is speaking to the prophet Samuel. And God has told him. And the Lord said to Samuel. How long will you mourn for Saul? That was the king at that time. Saying I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill your horn with oil. And go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided myself a king from his son the word provided here is literally in hebrew ra'ah i have seen i have searched i have looked for a king for myself among his sons amen so that's the word here the word god will see for himself literally means god will provide for himself Later in our story in Genesis 22 verse 14, and Abraham called the name of the place after the ramp was provided and sacrificed on Isaac's behalf. Abraham called the name of that place what? The Lord will provide. That's a famous name. We always use it in the church. Jehovah Jireh, right? Whenever somebody say, hey, you know. I need $400 for the orphanage. We say, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. But the Hebrew literally for it is Jehovah Yarah. Literally means the Lord will see, right? And then it says later after that, as it said on that day, the mount of the Lord, it shall, on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. Literally means will be seen. Amen. So when we say Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Yarah, the Lord will provide literally, we're saying the Lord will see for himself. He'll search, he'll look for the answer, he'll find it, and he'll provide it. Amen? Amen. Isn't that just amazing? I just thought about this this week. Every time we're at the church and we say, oh, I need 50 bucks, the immediate Christianese answer we say is Jehovah Jireh, right? Which is good. God will provide. But isn't it amazing that the very context, the very word Jehovah Jireh was mentioned is when God has provided salvation for us on the cross? That's what he has provided. That's what he searched for. That's where his name comes from. It comes from what he has done for us through Jesus on the cross when we were dead in our sins. And he provided the way for us to be reconciled with him through the blood of Jesus. Amen. He has provided the atonement. That's why his name is Jehovah Yarah, Jehovah Jireh. Amen. So every time from now on you mention his name, don't just think about your 50 bucks. Amen. Think about the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross to provide salvation and eternal life for you. Amen. And throughout the scripture we see this. Jehovah provides atonement. God always provides salvation for his people. Look at this. A couple of examples. Leviticus 17, 11. This is God saying, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And look at this. And I have did what? Given it to you. I have provided you the blood upon the altar to make what? Atonement covering for your sins, for your souls. For it is the blood that makes covering for the souls, that makes atonement, that makes um, redemption for the sin that the soul has committed. Amen. But who provides that blood? God said here, I have given it to you, right? It is not something you bring to me. I have provided that to you for the atonement. Amen? Amen. Psalm 65, 3. This is what the psalmist said. Iniquities prevail against us. As for our transgression, you will provide atonement. The Hebrew word here is kafar, to cover. You will provide atonement for them. You will atone for our sins the, the, the psalmist said now we will atone for our sins right who will atone for it 
God. He is the one who will provide the atonement. He is Jehovah Jireh who will provide for our salvation. Amen? And that's literally what God did in our story here in Genesis 22. In verse 13 we read, And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horn. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his the Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provided the atonement, the sacrifice, the substitute for Isaac at that day on Mount Moriah. Amen? And here is some good news for you guys. The same God who provided atonement, who provided an innocent lamb to die in Isaac's place in Mount Moriah, thousands and thousands of years later, provided a lamb for our sins on Mount Calvary. Amen? But this lamb was Jesus himself, the very son of the divine God. Amen? And Jesus came and he died on the cross as a provision from God himself for our atonement on the cross. Amen? Amen. Let's read a couple of examples to show how God provided salvation for us in Jesus. John 3.16, very famous scripture. We all know it by heart. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. He provided. His son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have an everlasting life. Amen? Romans 8.32, he did not spare his son, but he did what? Gave him up. He delivered him into our hand. He delivered him so he can atone for our sins. Amen? Amen. It's a lamb provided by God. Amen? Amen. Why? Why? Why is it that God has to provide that lamb for us? It is simple, really, because we cannot provide salvation for ourselves. Amen? Well, the Bible tells us this in Romans chapter 5. While we were yet weak, without strength, Christ, sinners, that's another scripture. When we were without strength, when we were weak, Christ died for us, right? But how weak are, are we really are when it comes to providing, providing salvation for ourselves? The Bible tells us. Yes, the Bible tells us that we are dead because of sin, right? Remember Ephesians 2? And you who were dead in trespasses and sin. This is how weak we are to provide salvation for our sins. We're as good as dead. Amen? Can you, have you ever heard of a dead person who were able to do anything for themselves? No. Have you? You guys don't seem to be really convinced about this. Have you ever seen a dead person can do any good or any bad for himself? Amen? It's dead, right? And that's how we are because of sin. We cannot provide atonement for our sins. Sin making us dead before God. We cannot overcome sin by ourselves. Amen? And that's why it's absolutely futile to say, I can be saved by my good works. Your good works will get you nowhere because before God's eyes, you are good as dead. Amen? And unless God provides that atonement, you'll never have any. Amen? So it's an atonement. It's a lamb that is provided by God. Amen? But it's also a lamb provided for God. Amen? Abraham said this. God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Amen? So that lamb was not just provided by God. It's also provided for God. 
I have to say, I love the NIV. It's one of my favorite translations. It usually nails it, but this time it's just messed it up. I, I'm not happy. Because the NIV translated that verse, God himself will provide the lamb for offering. That's what the NIV said. But literally, and that's following the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament before Christ. The Septuagint got it wrong as well. They translated it as God himself will provide, right? But the Hebrew doesn't say God himself will provide. It says God will provide for himself. And, so, and that's a big difference. Amen? Amen? The Hebrew goes like this. Elohim Yara Lu. Elohim is the name of God. Yara, we just said that to see, right? Lu, for himself. God will see for himself a lamb for the offering. Not God himself will see the lamb. Amen? Amen. What does that mean? That the lamb of the lamb at that day was provided for God. And how does that mean as far as Christ is concerned and his death on the cross that he's provided for God? Amen. Let's look into that. In the book of Leviticus, the first five, well, seven chapters pretty much, um, we read about five different sacrifices that God has commanded Moses to offer. Amen. The first one in Leviticus chapter one is called the burned offering. If you have your notes, you can read it with me. Leviticus 1 called the burned offering. In Leviticus chapter 2, it's called the grain offering. In Leviticus chapter 3, a different offering called the peace offering. In Leviticus chapter 4, a different offering called the sin offering. And then in Leviticus chapter 5, a different offering called the trespass offering. I'm really hoping by the grace of God, when we get there, we'll study this in depth. Each one of these offerings is looking at the cross of Christ from a certain angle. Amen? But here's the thing about these offerings. When you read about it, the first three offerings that the Lord has asked for Moses and the Israelite to offer, it is not really, there is no mention in sin in it. It just say, if you want to provide a burnt offering, here is how you do it. If you want to provide a, a grain offering, here is how you do it. If you want to provide a peace offering, this is how you do it. But then when it, we move on to the sin offering and the trespass offering, God says, if you sin, now you need to do this and that, right? And offer the sin offering or the trespass offering. You guys follow me? So the first three offerings, there is no mention of sin. You don't have to particularly have a sin so you can provide that offering for God, which is not the case with the sin offering and the trespass offering. Amen? Not only that, there is a phrase that we read in the first three offerings that we don't read in the last two offerings. And that is this. This offering will be burned or offered as a sweet aroma to the Lord. Amen? This phrase is only mentioned in the first three offerings. It was mentioned in one instance only in the sin offering in, in 431 and never was mentioned in the trespass offering. Okay, what am I trying to say here? Here is what I'm trying to get to. If this offering tells us something about the death of Christ, we know that the primary, in a way, the primary reason for Jesus to die on the cross is that he will be a sacrifice for God. You guys follow me? He was died on the cross as a burnt offering, as a grain offering, as a peace offering, so he can be a sweet aroma to the Lord. Amen? That's the number one reason. That's the primary reason. Amen? But the number two reason is also to die for our sins. Amen? Jesus was a lamb of God. Just like the lamb that God provided for Isaac's place, this lamb is not just provided by God, it's also provided for God. Amen? What do we mean by that? What does it mean that Jesus died 
for God. Okay? Let's try to understand that. You guys follow me or did I lose you? Okay, good, good. Because if I lost you, too bad. You know, to catch up. I'm not going back. All right, so here is what the Bible says. How is it that Jesus died for our sins? The, the answer to that, I believe, is in Romans 3, 25 to 26. I'll read it for you. It says this about Jesus, about his cross. Whom God has put forward as a propitiation, as an atonement, right? By his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, God has passed over the former sins. It was to show his righteousness from, for in the present time. Here is why Jesus died on the cross. That God will show that he's a righteous God. That he did not overlook any sin, even the one that has committed in the past. And all of that leads us to the very reason why Jesus died on the cross. Here it comes. Amen. So that... Here is the result. Here is why Jesus died. Here is the very reason Jesus died on the cross. That God the Father might be number one, what? The just. And number two to be what? The justifier. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He died primarily so God will be just. And also that he will be the justifier. But which one comes number one? Just. That's the very reason, the primary reason why Jesus died on the cross. So he can prove and to show for not just us, but even for God himself that he knows that he's a just God. Amen? He did not accommodate sin. He did not tolerate sin. He's a holy God. He's a just God. He punished sin in Christ on the cross. Even if nobody gets saved, God knows that he's a just God. Amen? Because he never tolerates sin because he never accommodated sin. Amen? Jesus, as a lamb of God, was not just provided by God. He's also provided for God. That the justice and the righteousness of God will be satisfied as well. Amen? But there's more good news. He's not just a just. Jesus didn't die. So God will be just a just. But we also be the what? The justifier. Amen? We all got into that. That we who were once dead in our sins because of the blood of Jesus, we are justified before God. Amen? And that will take us to that last point. This lamb was not just provided by God and for God, but he also provided to God. How? The Bible says that God will provide, Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb as a burned offering. What does that mean? We'll touch base a little bit on that. Burned offering, the first time we'll read about it is actually in Genesis 8 verse 20. Right after Noah got out of the ark, he offered God a burned offering, right? Burned offering is different than the rest of the offerings is, again, we just said that a few minutes ago. It is not necessarily associated with one particular sin. Like, you don't commit one sin, and, and then in order for God to forgive you, you bring him a burned offering, right? Burned offering more like general atonement to the nature of sin than one particular sin. Amen? Burned offering is more like this. I know overall I am messing up. I'm a sinner. And I want to approach God. Therefore, I bring him a burned offering. Amen? And the burned offering is actually to be burned as whole on the altar. We'll talk about that more in detail when we discuss the sacrifices. But the burnt offering to be burned as whole on the altar. Amen? Amen. 
And the Bible tells us that there is burnt offering offered throughout the year. Not just an individual can bring a burnt offering. The nation of Israel is to provide burnt offering to God in, in certain times. I think every Sabbath, uh, the beginning of the month, a couple of other incidences. But also, here is the one that is really notable. And you guys need to listen to me and focus on this, okay? There was a burnt offering on the morning and a burnt offering in the evening. So in the morning, the priest will provide a burnt offering to God, and this burn, this offering will burn for 12 hours. Amen? And when this offering is about to be done burning, then the evening comes, then the priest provides a different burnt offering that will burn all the way till the morning, right? So 24 hours, 7 days a week, listen to this, 24 hours, 7 days a week, there is fire burning in the altar in the tabernacle, amen? And there is always a constant sacrifice that is burning before God 24-7, 365 days a year, amen? What do we learn from this? We learn that God is a holy God and he cannot accommodate or tolerate sin. Amen? And the only reason, the very only reason anybody can ever approach God is that his wrath, his fire has fallen on that burned offering 24-7. It's when God sees the fire falling and consuming that burned offering that he can ever approach man or let man even come close to him. You guys follow me? Do you see that? Because God is a holy God. He cannot let even Moses come close to him. The other reason why Moses and Aaron and everybody else was able to come close to God is because before they come close, God will look at that altar and see that it's fire consuming an innocent sacrifice. Amen? Amen? It's a burnt offering to the Lord. Amen? And that's, friends, that's literally what Jesus was on the cross for our sins. Amen? The fire of the judgment of God fall on Christ on the cross. And because of what God has done to Jesus on the cross, you and I, sinners, can ever approach God and God can ever come close to us. Amen? Because Jesus, our burnt offering, we now can approach a holy and a righteous God. Amen? The Bible tells us clear that this burnt offering is a representation of Christ. Hebrews 10, 5 to 7. Listen to what the Bible say. The author of Hebrews now here is quoting Psalms. So here is what he's saying. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In what? Verse 6. In what? Burned offering. That's what we're talking about, right? In burned offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the books of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Amen. That's Hebrews 10, 5 to 7. Now, this is in so many ways uh, a direct quote from Psalm 40, verse 6 to 8. What does the Psalm say? Here is what the Old Testament say for that. Sacrifices and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burned offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, notice this, verse 7. Then I said, he's transferring now from one condition to another. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. Amen. This is the Psalms, and this is what the author of Hebrews quoted it. There are some differences. We're not going to spend time looking into that today. But this is the quote from Hebrews 10, 5 to 7. Then the author of Hebrews puts his own commentary of that Old Testament scripture. He's explaining to us what the psalmist was saying that he just quoted. 
So that's why Hebrews 10, 8 to 11, he said, previously saying, sacrificing and offering, burnt offering and offerings for sin, you did not desire nor have pleasure in it. Where is that? That's Psalm 40, verse, can you help me? 6, right? That's what Psalm 46 says. Sacrifice and offering. Let's read it again. Sacrifices and offering you did not desire. My ear you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said. So stop here. The psalmist is talking about two stages. Okay, you follow me? The first stage is God is not satisfied with burnt offering and sacrifices. Amen? The second stage is then I said. I will come to do your will as is written in the book. Amen? So that's stage one and stage two. So let's look at what the author of Hebrews commented. He said previously, what is previously? Stage one, right? Previously he said, sacrifices and offering, burnt offering and offering for sins you did not desire, nor have pleasure in them which offered according to the law. Then he said, now what phase is that? Phase two, okay? He's, he's moving on to Psalm 40, verse, let me see here. Psalm 40, verse uh, 7, okay? Then he said, um, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. And here is what the author of Hebrews comments on that. He said, he takes away the first, the first stage, the animal burnt offering and sacrifices. He takes it away that he may establish the second one. What the author of Hebrews is saying here is, in a way, the psalmist was saying that God has canceled stage number one for the sake of stage number two. Amen? He took away the first one that he might establish the second one. What does that mean? By You have provided a flesh for me. You have opened my ears so I can come and do your will. Here it is in verse 10. By that will, we have, remember what the psalmist said? I have come to do what? Your will, O God, okay? That will that the psalmist was talking about is right here in verse 10. By that will that the psalmist spoke about in 40 verse 7. By that will we have been uh, sanctified through what? The offering of the body of Christ once and for all. Amen? What the author of Hebrews is telling us here is this. The sacrifices of the Old Testament, including the burnt offering, was just a shadow of what Jesus is going to do for us on the cross. Amen? These sacrifices failed to bring us close to God, but the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, was able to fulfill what all these sacrifices has done. Amen? And that's why the psalmist in Psalm 40 canceled the first stage, the animal sacrifice, to establish the second stage, and that is the sacrifice of Christ. Amen? I think that's good. Amen? Amen. That's awesome. I love Hebrews. Anyways, Jesus is our burnt offering. Amen? He's the one who died on the cross, who endured the wrath of God, so you and I can approach a holy and a righteous God. Amen? Amen. I was thinking about that phrase when, when John the Baptist saw Jesus. He said, Behold, John 1, Behold what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I, I was thinking, what is the Lamb of God means? What does it mean, the Lamb of God? Is it, does it mean the Lamb that belongs to God? Or what does he trying to say? The Lamb of God. And you know what I'm thinking? John was trying to tell us when he referred to Christ as the Lamb of God. He was telling us the exact same thing that Abraham told Isaac in Genesis 22. The Lord will provide for himself a lamb for a burned offering. When, 
John the Baptist called Jesus the Lamb of God. He was literally saying that Jesus is a lamb that was provided by God, for God, to God. Amen? Let's all close our eyes and pray.